Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode number 355, I'm welcoming my in real life friend, Angel Rashudi, to the show. And here is your earbud alert. If you have little ones around, this may be an episode that you want to keep to just the adults this time. And then there is the body of Christ that I have seen time and time and time again. And I'm not just trying to put a positive spin on a hard story. Carry me to Jesus and hold my hands up when I could not believe anymore. And I I could truly go on and on about that, but it is something so precious to me. I'm honored that Angel would trust me and our community here with her story, her testimony of what God's done in her life. I do want to give y'all a trigger warning for those of you who may have experienced sexual abuse in your past. Angel will touch on her own story when it comes to the trauma she's experienced. My hope, my prayer is that we do not stay isolated with our stories But by Angel being brave and coming into the light that you will be brave with a safe person in your life to share your story. I also know that a lot of pain and wounding happens in the church. And like Angel and I talk about, the healing can also happen through the people of the church. And so we want to be that. We want to be the ones who walk with those who are wounded and hurting and who remind them of truth and who God says they are. And so thank you for listening to this episode. We plan to do a follow-up episode with a professional to talk more about how this topic impacts our parenting and wise practices. If you do not relate to Angel's story, I do think that this is a valuable conversation to listen to because you most likely have friends who have similar stories. And she also touches on the topic of not parenting from a place of fear and control, but this dance between trusting God and also being wise. And I think as moms, no matter what our past includes, that is a challenge because we know in this world, we're promised trouble and our children will experience pain and hard things and that in those places, God shows up and heals just like he did in Angel's story. So let's get right to it. Here we go. Angel, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. I kind of want to just like do a little clap because I'm proud of you. It's been a long time to get here. (laughs) I'm proud of you. Uh, you are going first. We just did an episode on being vulnerable with, um, safe people and you've done that with me. You have shared parts of your story while we watch our kids play on the playground. And we've talked for years about you sharing it on this platform. And so Mm -hmm. thank you for trusting me and sharing it. I will say this is angel's story to tell. So you can tell your friends to listen. That's what I would say. Tell your friends to listen to the episode, but you don't necessarily have to go and tell her story to all your people. Um, but introduce us to yourself. Who are your people okay. and your, how you got where you are? I have been married to Tim for almost 13 years. He is actually a math teacher at the school Heather's kiddos attend. So that's yes. one of the ways that we know each other. And he's an avid math TikToker by night. <laughs> He which has like a hundred even thousand followers. He's so way more it's popular insanity. than I am. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's like a world that I know nothing of. What's his handle um, so we can give a shout out to Tim Rashudi? I don't even know. It. No, like Angel, I, I something poly math something. That's all. Oh I know. my gosh, oh, um, we'll find it. We'll find it. Stephanie okay. will find it and put it in the show notes. <laughs> we met in Dallas while we were students attending Dallas Theological Seminary, where I received a counseling degree, and we have two boys. Boys, seven and nine, and after quite a few years struggling with infertility, had just kind of accepted we wanted more children, but that was not what God had for us. 
And then as God often does, he threw us a curveball and gave us two pandemic babies. So come this spring, we will have a 10-year-old, a seven-year-old, an almost two-year-old, and a newborn. And I will be 42 with two under two. So you can pray for me at any time that you think about it. You're going to do amazing. You were made yeah, for that's this. That's the hope. I mean, you ho- I mean, you hope. It's you a hope refining. It's a refining yeah. process. <laughs> and we'll get more into how it's refining in a minute. But um, as part of your counseling, you've specifically leaned into some work in a specific demographic mm-hmm. and share a little bit more about that work. Okay. Um, so I actually grew up in the church and all this, though this may be surprising when I share a little bit more of my story, I actually loved growing up in the church. Like I, I have some wonderful, so really some of my best memories are at church. Um, however, as I grew and got older, I realized that there were some gaps with respect to how the church deals with things like sexual abuse, education, recovery, reporting, some things like that. And I really wanted to be someone that could help bridge that gap. And then also I, I was going to say, unfortunately, but at this point in the game, I don't know that it is unfortunate. I have personal experience with abuse. And then I also have several experiences with abuse with individuals who are pretty close to me. And so it's made me very passionate about sexual abuse, education and prevention and reporting. Yeah. So if you're willing to share a little bit of your story, um, our hope and goal and sharing is for more freedom for more women and as friends of women who may be carrying stories that we can be aware of just the depth of pain and hurt that people could be carrying. So thank you for being willing to share. Absolutely. Before I share, I just, I want to say thank you, because I know that this is a hard topic to navigate. (laughs) Um, So thank you for being willing to prioritize it. And then also, I just wanted to mention one of the things that really surprised me as Heather and I were preparing for this interview, I've been in recovery and healing from the abuse that I experienced for really like 20 plus years at this point. So I've, I've got quite a bit of time focused time dealing with this and trying to get to the other side of it. And I was so shocked that I still had this sense of fear and hesitation because when you have been through abuse, you one feel responsible for other people that you're not necessarily responsible for. And oftentimes people that are connected to the story are people that you love very much. And you want to share the story well, but you also want to be honoring to those people. And that is a very difficult line to walk. And I just wanted to mention that to the listener because I, whenever anyone shares with you, so like, for instance, if you had, I I know that Heather does groups sometimes with the podcast where maybe you might have a group that you get together and you're talking through the podcast or something along those lines. And you have someone that maybe brings this up for the first time. It is always a risk and a cost when someone shares this type of story, because it's usually very personally connected to them and there's a lot at stake. So I just, I I was just surprised after all the time that I had spent doing that, that it was, um, still so scary. And so I just wanted to put that out there for my personal story. As best as I can recall, uh, abuse started for me around the age of four and lasted until I was 12 years old. My primary abuser was a senior level minister at a large church in town that we attended. And my dad was also on staff at for a period of time. And his wife volunteered to give my sister and I free piano lessons, which in, I don't know if anyone listening knows this, but typically minister salaries in most places are not large. And so that seems like a huge gift and kind of a no brainer. Like, yes, we would love our children to have that experience. Unfortunately, that gave him weekly access to me, and it also gave him a bargaining chip. So one of the big things that you'll hear when you hear about abuse is that usually the perpetrator will scare the 
victim or survivor with some kind of threat. And so his threat, his primary threat to me was, if you ever tell this, I will do this to your sister. So I very much felt like there is no way that I can communicate this because this will happen to my younger sister if I do. Um, So he wasn't abusing her at the time. He was threatening that he would. Right. As far there was never any abuse that happened to her. It was focused on me, but that was definitely the threat. And uh, she and I are close in age and very close. And I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody wants that to happen to their siblings. So that was um, a lot of pressure for a young child to carry. Yeah. So it was very serious um, for me. Um, And I very much felt like there was a responsibility to hold that. Uh, And again, just to kind of give you kind of the idea of what's happening for an abuse survivor, they learn very early on as a lie that they are responsible to hold things that are too big for them to hold and that they're not responsible to hold. So they're, they're trying to undo that as they're beginning the journey and going through the journey and sharing. The other kind of big piece of my story is that the abuse did not only happen at his home residence, but it also happened on church property as well. And so one thing that I always like to point out is abuse is horrible across the board. I will never say that one form of abuse is worse than the other. It just is horrible. The really horrible thing about abuse that happens in church and by a minister is that there really is no way at that point to separate out this horrific thing that's happening to you from God himself and the church at large. And so a big part of recovery from that that abuse is going to be asking some really hard questions like how did this representative of God, how is he different from God and just really wrestling with that. And so that's, that's a hard thing to navigate. So that was my, my first experience with, with abuse. I will say I never shared anything about that until my twenties. So your parents had no idea, no clue at all. And in fact, I will add um, my parents, what's kind of unique about my story is my parents actually did a lot of the things that we recommend to parents now for child abuse prevention then. So it's kind of crazy that it still managed to slip in. They were very particular about adults that we were around, sleepovers that we didn't do. I mean, very on top of things like that. And yet, you know, from a source and in a place that you just assumed would be safe and would be a benefit to your child, there is kind of this evil that is implanted. And so, no, they had no idea until my mid-20s. And the um, reason that it, the only reason that it stopped. Well, we moved towns. So we moved locations. And so it stopped at that point. And when I did remember, there have there have never been, as far as I know, any charges filed. Um, at that time, when I remembered kind of what had transpired for me, I immediately wanted to go and do anything that I could to protect anyone else. And the advice that was given to me legally at that time was, it's really not a good idea to do that. They're going to kill you on the stand, which if you've watched anything from the Rachel Den Hollander and Larry Nasser case is exactly what happens even today. They're not going to believe you and you risk having them file charges against you for defamation of character. And so a lot has changed in the last 20 years as far as what we recommend, but the way we treat survivors has not changed, sadly. And so I am very, very cautious when I talk with um, survivors, especially if they are on the beginning portion of their journey to healing, healing to make sure you have identified safe people to share with, because it really can change the whole course of your journey to healing. And I'll just add one other thing about him, that that man served on staff for another 30 years and retired to a standing ovation as though he had been faithful in ministry. And so I, I shared those pieces to share. It saddens me when I see people assuming that just what you see on stage means someone is safe with your child. And I wish that that were true. I wish that there were places where you could assume that, but unfortunately that is not an assumption that I feel like we can make the side of heaven. Um, can I ask how your parents responded? I mean, I know you wanted to go back, but how did, I mean, there are also moms listening that mm-hmm. 
they have experienced this with a child, like a, their child has been yep. the, the survivor of abuse. I'm thankful we can have these conversations because of sponsors like Stitch Fix. And what helps me with Stitch Fix, if you haven't checked them out recently, you can go on there and you can take a style quiz and it helps narrow the options down to only the things that really fit who you are and what your shape and style are. And so instead of having to endlessly scroll in online shopping, Stitch Fix helps narrow it down so you can look good. Maybe you have some date nights coming up. Maybe you have some special events. They, we do have a lot of the end of the school year. I know we have a graduation coming up for one of our kiddos. When you go in there and take the style quiz, they'll pick your favorite colors, your fits, your price ranges. And either you can schedule a fix where a stylist is going to send you five pieces that fit within that style, size, and price range with no subscription And then you can keep what you like and return the rest. So you're basically trying it on, sending it back. Or if you want to just pick out things yourself, go to Stitch Fix Freestyle. It's an online shop, but it's built just for you. It's like having your own clothing store. And they have so many different brands that you love, like Madewell, Sanctuary. It's time to get looks that are so you. Get started today by filling out your free style quiz at stitchfix.com slash DMA for Don't Mom Alone. Take advantage of free shipping and returns. That's stitchfix.com slash DMA to try Stitch Fix. Stitchfix.com slash DMA. So how did your parents respond? Well, the biggest thing that I think is a, is a blessing in my case. And so my perpetrator was not a family member and it right. gets really tricky yes. when it's a family member, because yes. then let's say that it's a dad, yes. then the mom's at that place of, I'm either going to lose my marriage, I'm going to lose my child. And so that is, I mean, that's just the reality of it. In my case, my perpetrator was not a family member. We did not live in town. We did not have a relationship with that person anymore. Although I don't think that that would have changed how my parents responded. They believed me. They never questioned that it occurred. I think it devastated them as it would devastate any parent. I think it's been a journey for them as well as for me to not accept responsibility for something they didn't do. I mean, I think it's natural for any parent. And now that I am a parent, it's just so natural to go into, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? How did I not see that? Why did I not do da 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 da? And the reality is that man did the harm. My parents did not do the harm. That man did the harm. I did not do the harm. He is solely responsible for that sin and we are not, but it is hard. I think both from the parent side of things and the victim side of things to get to a place where you aren't owning. Like I just said, in preparing for this interview, there's still a part of me that's like, is he going to come after me? Like Mm. what will happen if someone from this town hears, you know, like there's still that kind of fear there. So, and I think that can be the case for the parent as well. And I don't know if you're willing, but before we get into more of your story and interaction with this topic, I have heard from other guests I've had on that when you do have a child that turns the age of when your abuse started, that you Mm -hmm. then walk through another layer of healing. And you were just talking about like the fears or what's mine to own and the control. How did that manifest when you found yourself as a parent with a four-year-old? Yeah. So that is, so there's so many things that I could say about this topic. Yeah. And one is just for any person who has been through this to give yourself grace upon grace upon grace. I can't tell you how many times throughout my journey to healing that I've thought I'm done. Like I have done this hard work. I have been in counseling. I have done this program. I have done this. I have done that. And we are finished. And then you get to a transition point in life where you get married. I'll give you an example on my honeymoon. I had a flashback where my husband turned into Like it felt like he was this man, right? So you have that, that you navigate through marriage. And that has been a huge part of my journey within marriage. Thankfully, I'm married to someone who is 
he isn't counseling trained, but annoyingly he can kind of come off that way sometimes in these situations. And you're like, you don't even have this degree or experience. How are you responding like this? Yeah. Um, so he has been great in that. And I'll, I'll add another piece of my, my story, which, is, and that will kind of tie to when my child turned the age of around four or five. So another piece of my story as I became an adult was that a close family member of ours was actually on another church staff and molested teenagers while on church staff and on um, church property. And so that brought the story home all over again, because it was essentially a repeat of exactly what had happened to me. And it just so happened that that occurred when I was pregnant with our first child, who happened to be a boy. And so like, just all kinds of things are swirling at this point. And keep in mind, I do have experience. I have my own personal experiences with abuse, but because I have worked in nonprofit facilities with women who have had abuse, I have a lot of stories. So when we had this situation with a close family member who did end up becoming, uh, he is, they are on the sex offenders list. They were, it was um, prosecuted we came up with boundaries for our children that we wanted to walk this out well as Christians and wise. Um, And so our boundaries for this individual were, they were never allowed to be around our children without one of us present. And then also they were never allowed to touch our children, even with like a high five or a hug when they came into the house. And that may sound severe, but the reason for that boundary is because I vividly remembered a story throughout my past of a young woman who's, who was uh, manually stimulated at the dinner, dinner table while people were sitting around. And the thing is, is that depending on where the sexual predator falls, as far as like levels of severity of abuse, it becomes almost like a game to them of how much they can get away with. While and they in the are presence doing of it. others. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. they're grooming not only their victim, but they're grooming the people around them too. So there's a guy named Jimmy Hinton, Hinton that I actually follow online. And he does a training that I love where he comes in and he picks one person from the group. He was like, are you willing to, to be my um, example for today? And he'll say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like introduce myself to you as I would everyone else in the training, but slowly throughout the day, I'm going to have more physical contact with you than anyone else. And then at the end of the training, I'm going to ask if they've noticed who I have identified and isolated as my victim. And without fail, when he does this training, so he'll start with just introducing himself, shaking hands, then throughout the day, he'll pat them on the back, then maybe like touch their leg. Well, at the end of the day, when he does this training and he asks, you know, has anybody noticed anything off color? And no one will be able to identify that. And the reason why is because it's it's kind of like that just slow desensitization. Uh, this has been happening in full view the whole time and no one notices it. So like for a kid, it's happening the whole time, just like the Larry Nasser case with the gymnastic victims, their parents were in the room with the doctor. And so the kid is thinking, well, my mom's here, so it must be okay. But yet this seems wrong and it just really distorts again, what is truth and good and pure and what is wrong and evil and never should be happening. Does that make sense? Is that well, you had told me that the other aspect of being a survivor is trusting your gut because your gut has been reprogrammed to not call out what is evil is evil and what is good is good. So talk about that a little bit. Because I think that plays into when we have kids, because you, I hear you saying, you know, you all of a sudden have a family member that you're having to set boundaries on. It's not an imagined risk. It's not like Angel is making up scenarios that could happen to her child. This is an actual risk in the family having to create boundaries and yet not live in constant fear. So That's what Mm -hmm. I hear you navigating and trusting like, no, this is real and it's okay for me to make wise choices here. Yeah. So again, it's a hard line to walk. Um, And I will say it's not one that I feel like I have conquered completely. 
even I have okay, let's be honest. I haven't even come close to conquering it. Okay. Um, None of us have conquered anything. We're all I feel like at different seasons I see some growth in that area and then we'll transition to a new season. When your kids transition to new seasons, it's relearning it on a new level. So when we first had our oldest, I mean, I wouldn't leave him with anyone. I was, I mean, my whole body would tighten up and clench down. And I could not imagine even grandparents. Um, I knew my parents were okay, but I didn't trust anyone else. So, and I think there's, there's this balance of feelings are not wrong, right? They're indicators of what's going on in us. So you do need to give yourself the freedom and you need to have people around you that are giving yourself the freedom to say, and this is something that Tim does so well I don't know how he he has done it, but he is unbelievably gifted at validating how I feel and saying it's legitimate. Like, just like you said, like you have had some horrible things happen. It is legitimate that you would be terrified that this would happen again. And he's also really good about being an objective person for me to run things by and say, I totally get why you're freaking out right now. Also, I will just say, I don't personally see any red flags right now. So for me, Heather and I attended the same church for a long time and they had an incredible, and I probably still have an incredible recovery program. That's one of the things that I participated in. And it was really helpful for me in that recovery program. There's something called an inventory that I still use regularly. And it's just this chart that has the situation, then what you believe about the situation your desires, your feelings, and then like what your actions are. And if you do that often enough, you'll start seeing a thread in what your actions are, which you can't control all the rest of it, but you can, with God's help, begin to hopefully make some change in your actions. And so for me, that was, that's a really helpful practice to figure out when fear is at play. And, and to try to make some different choices, but I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. When my oldest went to kindergarten, I all but had like just a complete meltdown and I didn't really know why, but the, like when I walked him, I'll never forget walking him to kindergarten for the first day. And it actually wasn't his first time in school. I was actually telling Heather previously, he actually had to start school at three for some different reasons. And I I'll never forget that day either because I sat outside of the school and he had a language delay. And so I knew that I was leaving him with strangers. He was not going to be able to communicate to me if they had hurt him. I couldn't go in with them and like stalk them all day long and make sure they were doing the right thing. And so I was sitting outside in my car and, you know, just the way that God does as we grow you see different parts of scripture different ways. And he, he brought the story of Moses's mother to my mind. And I had never thought about the fact that when she put Moses in that basket, it was not a good option. It was literally just the only option that she had. And it also was not a safe option. It was just the only option that she had. And yet that basket was, was what God used to lead him to the exact center of God's will for his life. And so I think what begins to happen as a mom, oh man, is that you almost kind of see your trauma through their growing up years. And so you're replaying it and hopefully you're making wise choices to be in counseling and separate out. This is their story and this is my story, but it, it does make you walk through it in a whole different way. And I think the hardest things are letting go of control and then not letting fear dictate. Is that, I don't know that I really answered that question well, but does that- a hundred percent did. You a hundred percent did. And I think it applies to all moms who are walking through this whole concept of what are we trying to own? What are we trying to take responsibility for? Mm -hmm. Where do we need to release? Where do we need to trust? It may not be the safest we, we can do our very best. Yeah. Like you said, with your parents, they, exactly. they followed all of the strategies for protecting your kids. And mm-hmm. it is a lie that enemy, I think, tries to woo us into, to make us feel like God, that our child's protection is on us. Mm-hmm. And I've walked through that. I mean, abuse isn't a part of my story, but I still struggled with, I, I did have a, 
cousin who lost their child to drowning. And so there was a fear Mm. in this was a real thing that had happened to a family member. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go on our baby moon trip because I was terrified. My oldest who was being cared for by my parents who are very responsible people that he would not be watched for a moment and that he would drown. And I was paralyzed in fear. And Mm -hmm. I finally had Mm -hmm. to come to the point where I was like, I'm believing a lie that my child is only safe in my presence. Mm -hmm. What happens when something happens to him in my presence? Am I going to take full ownership and responsibility that happened and and guilt? And then just, that's not going to go well for me. So Mm -hmm. I think every mom at some point has to reckon with this. And, and particularly if trauma or abuse is part of your story, it is part of the faith journey to release control in certain areas, but have someone wise walk alongside you who helps you tease out. No, I'm Mm -hmm. having that feeling and it's okay that I'm having that feeling. And maybe there is a gut part here and maybe there's not. And just kind of walking alongside you as you navigate your thought patterns, your feelings, your actions. It's that time of year where, I don't know about y'all, but if you have school-age kids, we're too far from the end of the year to get excited. We're into the harder content. And so most days, they're a little bit exhausted from school and their spring break's too far. (laughs) It's too far from now. That is why I've loved out school because it's making learning fun again. And if you have a kid age five to eight, I just saw one of the classes they offer is a hip hop musical theater Encanto themed dance class. That's right. They could get all their Encanto needs met via out school. Uh, So cute. I also saw for ages 7 to 11, they have an ASL, Beginner's American Sign Language class that they can take online. It's $10 a class, y'all. This is amazing. There's ballet classes. They could learn how to video game design, draw cartoons, creative writing. So many different options for kids aged preschool all the way through high school. Go check it out. They're super affordable. You can choose the size and the group of the class that works best for your child, giving them the experience that's best for them. They make it so easy for kids to learn what they love. It's a gift that gives back to them and you over and over. OutSchool has helped my kids get excited about learning, and they can help yours too. To learn more about all OutSchool has to offer and to save $15 off your child's first class, which I looked online, that's like a free class, basically. Go to outschool.com slash DMA. Use the code DMA. That's code DMA at outschool, O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L.com slash DMA to save $15 off your child's first class. Outschool.com slash DMA. I don't know about y'all, and I don't know if it's because I have four boys, but our grocery bills can be ginormous, What helps me, and I know it seems counterintuitive, is having a meal plan subscription through Prep Dish. Let me explain. So basically, what she does is she sends me a meal plan and all of the food works together. Each ingredient has purpose. And so I can use half of something for one meal during the week and half of something for another meal during the week. It also helps that I already know by Sunday all of our meals for the week. I can look at our calendar and I'm not having to do a last minute, you know, takeout or food gets so expensive when our family eats out. So it's saving me money there. Also, I am getting healthy food and we're having family dinners at home, which to me, when it comes to parenting, it is, I'm just gonna tell y'all, I don't have a lot of formulas, but I really feel like that time around the table and developing relationship with your kids matters. And so to have Prep Dish help me make that happen, it's just an option I wanna share with y'all and hope that it helps you too. And what's great is you get to try it out for free. The founder, Allison, she understands that deciding what to your your family is important. So she wants to give you a free two-week trial. See if it works for your crew. So check out prepdish.com slash DMA to try recipes for yourself Commit to your healthiest year yet. Save money. Again, that's prepdish.com slash DMA for your first two weeks for free. 
Let me know how you like it. Yes, and let me just say, one of the things that saddens me so much when it comes to survivors sharing their story is that oftentimes they don't share until something triggers them. And then it kind of, it can come out sideways because depending on where they are in their, and this has happened to me, depending on where they are in their healing journey, depending on if whatever is happening, uh, uh, well, I'll give you another example from my personal life. The family member that we had that is a convicted sex offender at another point in time, their spouse was hired by another church and the church did not inform the congregation that they were married to a convicted sex offender. So for me, I immediately went into panic. Like it was as though my whole self just kind of shut down and went back to there's, I mean, danger, 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 danger. Like no one's looking out for the child. No one's looking out for the child. I mean, like, oh my goodness, there's danger everywhere. And so we need to have grace with each. I mean, it kind of always comes down to the very simple things. We need to have grace with each other in that when someone is sharing that story, if they sound crazy, it might be because they've experienced something that you haven't experienced. And so for them, when they look at that situation, they're like, they're thinking there is an actual catastrophe that is literally looming. And the reason why you're not responding at that same level is because you don't have that experience and you don't see what they see. They may literally be seeing something that is a concern. They just may not be able to express it in a way that's most receivable for you for you. And so there needs to be some grace in that as we're kind of sharing stories and and listening to stories. And on the survivor side of things, there needs to be some grace for those who are making decisions, because I don't know that anybody is waking up in the morning and going, you know, I would just love to completely mess this whole leadership thing up. You know, like I, nobody does that. So there, there does need to be some ability to Breathe, recognize our feelings, try to regulate. Heather has a great podcast on remaining within your window of tolerance. That's (laughs) difficult to do in these circumstances, but if you can both get there, you can be a lot more productive in your conversations, obviously. Yeah. And I, and what I'm, what I'm feeling is that I need to do a whole episode with someone on best practices. Yes, for sure. You could share some resources with us if someone needs something today but I really feel like today was about you sharing your story and giving grace to the listener who can relate and then grace to us as we are walking alongside of people. And this is their story to recognize that anger might come out behaviors in kids Mm -hmm. or in people. That's the trauma talking the body. What is it? The body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. That's a good book. You recommend that book? I do. And just to like give yourself grace. Cause again, like you'll think that you're making progress and you are like, you have, you have made progress at this one stage, but then as Heather mentioned, life transitions and children go to a different age and then you have different things that you're navigating. And so you're learning that in a new space. So, um, just really to give yourself a lot of grace. When a friend shares her story, like you said, Mm-hmm. it's very risky. There's a lot going on. What is a best response that we can give her? I mean, the the first thing is believe what she's saying. Even if it's someone, I will tell you this, every single perpetrator, and I know a lot of stories of perpetration from my personal life, but also from my work life, they are typically very likable, very charismatic, very lovable, skilled individuals. And so sometimes it is, I I have actually had someone say to me, I'm hearing what you're saying. I just can't imagine that that person could do that. I'm like, well, it's factually true that they did as hard as it is for you to. And, And I get that that it is hard because again, that person has not only groomed the victim, but those around the victim as well to think this is impossible. Like this couldn't have happened. Um, so the main thing is to believe them. How does she, how do I support you? How do I support her? You need to recognize that people are going to need you in a different capacity at different parts of the journey. And it is okay if you aren't 
the one that can fill that space at different parts of the journey. I have some very dear friends who walked us through the worst part of my journey and they were like feet on the ground, dinners, picking up kids from school, supporting to, I mean, like a lot for a long time. And they had the capacity to do that. They also had the capacity to do that because there was a group of people. And so it wasn't just all on one person's shoulders, but I guess I just want to say to the friend that's listening that may hear this, don't think that you are the be all to end all of support, but you, you cannot be. So believe them, know that you are, you're not going to be able to provide everything and be clear about loving them, even when you can't feel and fill a need. Like, I, I don't think I'm the right person to be able to help you with this, but can I maybe do some research and maybe come up with a counselor or somebody else who has been through this? Or can I maybe find us some other resources that might be beneficial? Don't feel like you have to carry the whole load um, because it, it can be very weighty, especially at the beginning of the healing process. It is, it is a lot at the beginning. I think that's, that's great that you had community to walk with you through that. What I think is so great about what you just shared is it's another reminder that although it was within the church that your abuse happened, the gift of outside of the entity, people, body of Christ that helped in the healing. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up Um, because when, as I mentioned earlier, when abuse happens within the church, it's hard to separate out evil and what is holy. And um, truly, like if I could tell you the story in full, which we cannot do on a podcast, of even what happened five years ago and how two different small groups, there was one small group that I was in, it was an all-mom small group, they fed us for six months. For six months, like I just, I was so, um, kind of what, what had happened at our, at our church and like, it had just triggered so much that I was just incapacitated. And so they, yeah, they fed my family for six months to the point that I had a friend who knew how much I loved decorating for holidays and I just couldn't do it. And so she brought all the stuff that you needed for fall decorations with your kids so that I could do that with my kids without having to go get it. Like there were so many different precious, precious things. It truly is like the story of um, the friends that carried the paralyzed man to Jesus. Like it, and, and I think that's a good distinction right now because there is so much hurt around the institution of church right now that particularly our generation is navigating, whether you have abuse or not. And I, for me, it's still something I'm working on, but for me, it's really important to separate out. There's kind of this business institution that we call the church And then there is the body of Christ that I have seen time and time and time again. And I'm not just trying to put a positive spin on a hard story. Carry me to Jesus and hold my hands up when I could not believe anymore. And I I could truly go on and on about that, but it is something so precious to me. Um, my family would not be here today if it were not for that. And I don't know if Tim and I would have made it honestly in marriage. Um, if it had not been for just being surrounded by people that loved us. I mean, they, they put their money where their mouth was. And I think you had said, don't feel like you have to carry all of it. And I, and I think your example shows that. It wasn't one person carrying no. the friend to Jesus. It was a group. And so mm-hmm. making sure we are vulnerable, that people know what's going on in our lives, which was what last week's episode was on, mm-hmm. and sharing the load, mm-hmm. but with the goal of getting back to Jesus, getting back to the true healer. It can't be our spouse. It can't be a person. It can't be our kids. None of these humans... <laughs> are enough, but they can be the ones who bring us to the only healer. And that can is, I share? yeah, yes. Ahead. A story that comes to mind to tag on to what you're saying is in one of a, a counseling session years ago that happened for me that, and I go back to this all the time, God just really gave me kind of this visual. And there were some really horrible things that happened in this particular sanctuary at this church. And I just felt like, and I could see it 
all happening on the um, stage in the sanctuary. And I just felt like God, I could see God's finger come down and I love the beach. And it was like his finger drew a line like it would in the sand. And there was my abuser and me on this side. And then there was Jesus and me on this other side. And I cannot explain this. I mean, it's really like the blind man when, you know, everybody came to him and he was like, well, who did this and what time he was like, I don't know. I just know that this happened and it forever changed how I saw the situation. So I saw Jesus holding like another version of me as like a little kid. And I felt like God just said, because of sin and brokenness in this world, he did have access to your body. But I drew a line that Satan could not cross and he never touched the best parts of you. I always had them. And I think that, and that is possible because of the of so many different parts of the body of Christ, people who are trained to be counselors, people who are, who are trained to be the friends to bring them to counseling, people who are trained or care about being the friend to walk you through that. Like all of that, that's what I honestly think Satan is trying to blind us to right now. There are some very messed up things in the money making institution of the church, uh, and I can go to town with you on that. But I also think Satan is trying to blind us to, and yet this man named Jesus can, in this broken world, separate it out, and he can draw a line that Satan cannot cross and will not cross. And so um, I hope that that story is encouraging. Oh my gosh, that's like inner healing. I'm loving it. I love it. It's an encourager. If you're a mom, taking a meal is not a small thing. Nothing is a small nope, thing when not. you're a part of a, a person's journey. And so fill that space, do your part. Thank you, mm-hmm. Angel. Yes. We'll connect them to you in the show notes if y'all uh, want to talk to Angel. But remember, she is having her fourth baby. So grace. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to share some resources in there. Um, but I'm just really, I'm honored that you'd share your story and trust us here. So thank you. Absolutely. I'll see you soon. Thank you again for being with us in this conversation, for keeping Angel's story close and also just leaning into the Holy Spirit for what your role is with a friend who may be walking through something similar or for yourself. I'm praying for next steps. We have put some resources in the show notes. Again, we will try to have a follow-up episode with a professional who can guide us um, because I know sometimes these conversations can bring up a fear or am I doing enough? Um, My hope for you is that you would lean into the Holy Spirit in your life and trust um, that conviction and not live in fear. So I'm going to pray for us right now. Lord, I thank you that you do walk with us, that although evil is in this world and wounding does happen, that is not your desire for our lives and that your heart breaks for each child, each woman, each man who are walking this earth with that kind of pain and hurt, particularly, particularly from those who are ministers in the church. And I pray, Lord, for you to radically move and heal the person who's listening right now, that they would find your comfort and love over them, that they would find a supernatural reprogramming of what has been stolen from them, a trusting of your spirit moving through them. I pray, Lord, for each mom represented here who a lot of the wounds are coming fresh to the surface as she's mothering. I pray for grace for her today, that if it's leading to anger, pain, sadness, depression, anxiety, that those would be the red flags to get additional help and healing that she needs, Lord. I pray that we would be the friends who walk alongside, who show the grace, who bring the meals, that that none of that is too small a ministry, that those are holy, holy, holy things that we get to do alongside our friends who are suffering and hurting. I pray, Lord, for um, any spirit of abuse to be bound. Lord, I pray against those spirits in our children's lives. I pray for us to just be alerted by your spirit when there is a red flag 
and that we um, can trust you with our kids and what you're doing in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, y'all, man, I am so thankful for each one of you. Thank you for sharing these episodes with your friends. It's humbling to have this be my job. What I get to do, it doesn't feel like a job. And so um, thank you. Thank you for walking with me. We are so honored that we get to offer y'all conversation starters so you can be the ones who in your sphere of influence invite moms into community so that they don't mom alone. You can find our conversation starters. They're um, different tops. They're available uh, through the link in the show notes. Show notes you can find at don'tmomalone.com or also whatever podcast player you're listening to should have the links in them. And I will meet you back here next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.